You're listening to the Mormon Artist Podcast, a podcast covering the world of Mormon arts and examining the intersection between faith and creativity. For more Mormon arts news and interviews, please visit mormonartist.net. Welcome to the Mormon Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Morris. Four years ago, Kathleen Dalton Woodbury and I co-wrote an article for Mormon Artist called, Is It Something in the Water? Why Mormons Write Science Fiction and Fantasy. We were responding to an interview Mormon author Carol Lynch Williams did with the Boston Globe, where she talked about how so many Mormons write speculative fiction that book publishers have taken notice. In researching the article, I learned a lot of fun facts about Mormons and science fiction and fantasy. My favorite was the connection between Ray Bradbury and Reed Nibley, Hugh Nibley's musician brother. You'll have to read the article for the details. Anyway, assuming it's true that Mormons are overrepresented in science fiction and fantasy, why is that? In the article, we talked about different people's theories. Does it have something to do with our theology? Is it because Mormonism is a small, tight-knit community? Is it because we have a history of speculative fiction? Or is it simply a myth? Some people think that maybe Mormons, because they strongly self-identify as Mormon, it's more noticeable if an author is Mormon, not necessarily that there are more Mormons who write science fiction and fantasy. A lot of people chimed in in the comments section to give their opinions, including Orson Scott Card. Well, little did I know after writing that article that just a few years later, in September 2013, Salt Lake Comic Con was about to explode on the scene in Utah. Science fiction, fantasy, and comic fans came pouring out of the woodwork in Utah. For the first event, tickets sold out between 70 to 80,000 people attended. And then in 2014, it was even bigger with 120,000 people attending. It was so big that the fire marshal had to shut the convention down several times that year. Salt Lake Comic Con remains the largest per capita comic con in North America. There are two events a year for Salt Lake Comic Con. The regular event is in September, and a second event is in January. It's called the Fan Experience. I decided to attend Fan X15 this year and track down as many Mormons as I could find, ask them what they were working on, what they thought of Salt Lake Comic Con's crazy success, and pick their brains about why there are so many Mormons who create and consume science fiction and fantasy. I recruited a couple friends to help me out since I'd never attended a Comic-Con before. My friend Griffin is a veteran Comic-Con attender. He attended the very first Salt Lake Comic-Con. He was actually in the middle of constructing his costume when we talked on the phone. My other friend Alexandria, like me, had never attended a convention before. Both were participating in this year's costume contests. So off we went, Saturday, January 30th, to the Salt Palace. With the help of Eric Jepson and Andrew Hall who are Mormon bloggers, I was armed with a list of Mormon vendors and guests. On the drive to the Salt Palace, I asked Griffin and Alexandria what they thought about why so many Mormons read and write science fiction and fantasy and attend Salt Lake Comic Con. We are on our way to the Salt Lake Comic Con adventure, Fan X 15. The question of the day is why do so many Mormons hang out at Comic Con? 
Um, with me, as my adventures, co-adventures of the day, are... Griffin Sutherland Taylor. Dressed as... Post-apocalyptic Ash Ketchum. And also, my other friend who's joining me to stock Mormon artists is... Alexandria Hansen. And what are you dressed as? Uh, Ghost Rider's girlfriend. Ghost Rider's girlfriend. All right. Um, so right now we're theorizing about why so many Mormons are um, into science fiction, fantasy, and comics, and like to nerd it up. What do you think, Griffin, as a, um, as a veteran nerd? I have a running theory that we love all things nerdy because it's something we can be passionate about that's not drinking, smoking, drugs, or sex. So, you know, it kind of limits our options in terms of modern society. So, we go for all sorts of nerdy crap. Okay. What do you think, Alexandria? Why are there so many Mormon authors and artists and fans um, at Comic-Con? I really hadn't thought about that question until about five minutes ago. <laughs> and I agree with Griffin, and that was my thought before he gave his answer. But uh, I think we're very creative people, too. We try to cultivate uh, different aspects of our lives and not just kind of go in for the normal mainstream type of uh, pastimes, like like he said, the drinking and the smoking and the, and the carousing in various ways. But I, I think a lot of people can get into debauchery. <laughs> debauchery. <laughs> Good word. Uh, and I think... Um, just as uh, as a as a you know Mormon culture and as a as a religion, we're called upon to to utilize our creative talents, and I think including our nerdy creative including talents. Including our nerdy creative talents. Yes. Okay. <laughs> may or may not have spent a lot of time on this makeup, and it was fun. <laughs> I'm down with that. All right, here we go. When we got to the Salt Palace. Alexandria and Griffin had to stop by the weapons check to make sure that their weapons with their costumes were in accordance with the regulations of the Comic-Con. I headed over to Artist Alley to look up the iPlates booth where Jet Atwood was chatting it up with some fans. All right, here we are at Fan X15, and I'm at the iPlates booth. The iPlates are comic book adaptations of the Book of Mormon, written by Stephen Carter and illustrated by Jet Atwood. So I'm speaking with Jet Atwood. Um, so Jet, tell me about the iPlates. Well, here's the 30-second pitch. I actually never have timed it, but we tell people it's the 30-second pitch to bring them in. But we take stories from the Book of Mormon, we expand them out, we fill in backstory, we have additional characters, we have female characters that say and do things that are important to the plot, which women seem to appreciate. But we tell it in a funny, entertaining way, but it absolutely matches the timeline of the Book of Mormon. So we tell parents it's like the gateway drug to the actual book, and it's guaranteed to get you through Fast Sunday. Yeah, so I have read these. Um, one of the things that I really appreciate is the um, some of the animals are kind of cuddly, and there's a lot of humor yeah, in them. So, so what what influenced you as to your style? Well, the first one we did was uh, Alma or Ammon, and it was actually for an article about the church in Japan. And so we decided to go for like a very manga-ish style. And then we said, "Well, let's keep going." I told Steve, and I'm like, "Okay, ma for me doing manga, it's it's a lot of work. So this is just this is just my natural my natural style, really." 
I mean, so it's like whoever I've been influenced by in the past. But we definitely kept it more cartoony and more fun. There's a lot of really violent stuff in the Book of Mormon. We want to make this accessible for kids. So even though, you know, arms go flying, we do it in a really funny way. Right, yeah, the part where the arms get cut off in um, the story with Ammon has a lot of humor, humor, which makes it a little bit, uh, a little bit more digestible, I guess. Um, okay, so, well, your booth has been pretty busy. Why do you think that is? Well, this is totally our crowd. I mean, we've never bothered trying to do a con anyplace other than Salt Lake. You know, and it's like, I think parents are hungry for something that's, uh, that's fun, that's like a good way to introduce their kids to the Book of Mormon beyond just the, you know the straight retellings. I, there's there's nothing else like this out in the market. We're very proud of that. We're very proud of the work that we've done. Yeah, well, it is gorgeous and it's high quality, high quality stuff. So, um, okay, so what is in the current volume and what are you working on next? Okay, well, volume one ended with um, with Alma fleeing into the wilderness, and volume two picks up where that one leaves off. And it's funny, like it's 150 pages, and it actually only covers two chapters in the Book of Mormon. So when we tell people we dig deep, we really dig deep. But I mean, it covers Alma preaching at the waters of Mormon. It covers Gideon wanting to overthrow King Noah and this is where like the women really step to the forefront because you meet Sybil who's like one of the palace girls but there's such a reward for Alma they don't know if she's going to betray them or not and then you meet Zarin Sybil's sister who has to help evacuate the city so it's actually been a lot of fun like Stephen describes the Book of Mormon it's like a thousand years of history and the plane is just flying over the top and we like to land the plane and walk around so volume two is like it's really action-packed Okay. Oh, next, we actually we have a trilogy for Abish planned next. We're very excited oh, about that one. That's awesome. You don't really get a lot with Abish's story, so you're gonna kind of expand on that. Yeah, you know, it's if you read it, you know, it says all you know is it says she's a secret Christian in her heart because her dad had a dream and she's in the palace. You're like, who is this woman? So we've gone back and kind of reverse engineered what was going on and figured out who she is. So yeah, we're very very excited about Abish. She's in. She's a really interesting character. That is really exciting. Um, when, how did you get into comic book illustrating? I, I knew when I was six years old I wanted to be an artist. I mean, I saw, I saw animation. My older brother explained how it was done. I'm like, people make money doing cartoons. That's it for me. So, so I, I have a classical animation background. Right now I'm doing storyboards for for animation, and I've done comics forever. But this is like, this is like. I would say professionally, this is the thing I am the most proud of I've ever done. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so, just in general, um, I mean, this is kind of a leading question, but in general, how would you say that your faith influences your work? You know, I've always been a, I've always been a, you know, quote unquote, good Mormon girl, as as good as I can be, which I think is what's said for everybody. But I think, you know, if you don't stop and examine your religion, especially you know in your adulthood, you're not doing it right. You know, so I've had some 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 ups and downs, but I have to say, for me, like doing eye plates, you know, Stephen and I, we go through the chapters that we're doing so carefully because you know the thing we insist on is it has to match the timeline. And so I've gone through and. It's it's like things have jumped out at me that they never have before. Like volume one, we made a Benedi really early on. And I just got, I felt like I got to know him and just love him so much more that honestly, when I got to the pages where, you know, Noah 
is is having him executed, I totally teared up. I mean, and I knew what was hap I knew what was going to happen from the beginning. So, I mean, for me doing this, even though you know we keep it fun, we try and keep it you know lighter for the kids. You know, for me honestly, it's been a real faith promoting experience just doing these. So, and I hope other people have the same experience reading them. Okay, awesome. Well, I'm excited to see more. Last question. Um, why do you think that Comic-Con got so big so fast in Salt Lake? Oh, Utah's by far the nerdiest state. <laughs> I, I, there's actually been studies done, apparently. But, I mean, I'm not shocked at all. I was, like, playing Dungeons & Dragons when I was 9. My older brother introduced me to comics when I was, like, 11. So, Utah's always been nerdy. So, and we're very crafty. We're very, it's a very community, it's a very community-oriented state, so I'm not shocked at all. I'm, if anything, I'm a little shocked that it's not bigger, the Fan Expo this year. But they're the, these are like the best people on earth, I think. Okay, do you ever feel like you're a uh, missionary pitching the Book of Mormon to people when they walk by in your booth? Uh, sometimes. I mean, a lot of times you feel like you're like, oh yeah, that's our crowd, that's not our crowd. But you don't know. Like yesterday, this guy came by, and he's totally tatted up, and his eyes milky like he's been in too many fights. I mean, he, he just looked he just looked really rough. But we're like, yeah, okay, we'll give him the pitch. And he totally bought a set. And he, like, he grew up LDS, he tries to be, you know, he's like, he's not super active, but he still considers himself Mormon. But he like lifted up his shirt. He has like a beehive tattoo on his on his chest, you know, with like with the uh, the pioneer dates on it. And then he lifts up his calf, like the pants for his calf, and shows off. He has like a CTR tattoo on his calf. So I mean, like you do not know you. So I mean, I really try not to like overly judge when whenever I'm I'm pitching the book because you don't know who's gonna like it or not. But the, he was he was the sweetest guy, and you don't know. You do not know. Yeah, that's really interesting. Cool. Um, what's the most memorable costume you've seen this weekend? I saw a really skinny, skinny He-Man <laughs> with really short hair, and it's one of these things where I'm like, I'm like, you're a brave, you're the bravest man I've ever seen walking around in those undies. Because if you're gonna be He-Man, I would think spend some time in a gym, dude. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Next, I wandered over to Howard Lyon's booth. Howard Lyon is a fantasy illustrator. He does work for Magic the Gathering, which is a card game. He was showing a recent high school graduate his sketchbook. Um, so, Howard, how's this weekend been going for you? It's been really good. Um, you know, you never know what to expect when you go to a show, but it's been great. It's definitely been worthwhile to be here. Yeah, so lots and lots of people come through here. What are the m most common things that people say or ask you? So, um, about two-thirds of the people that stop are familiar with Magic the Gathering, and that's most of the work at my booth right now is from the game Magic the Gathering. And so they know what it's about, and they'll usually ask me, how did you start doing work for Magic? That's the question that I get asked the most. Um, and then the people that aren't familiar with magic will stop by and ask me what story it's from or you know where how did you come up with these and and so I'll introduce them to the to the game and and uh, tell them a little bit of the backstory behind magic. 
So have you been to other conventions besides the ones in Salt Lake? Um, yes, I've done Phoenix Comic Con, and then I've done a few what are called Grand Prix for Magic the Gathering, and there it's a very specific audience at those events because it's just Magic players, and I've done them around the U.S. Okay, um, is there anything different or unique about Salt Lake Comic Con? Maybe not. Um, it's it feels like it feels like most other Comic Cons that I've been to. You do get a little more, a few more families that come to them. Um, the, the Utah crowd is very nice, very polite, um, good crowd to, to be with. I think that I get more people just looking at the Utah conventions than some of the other ones. They'll come ready either to have me sign cards or to buy, um, but that's fine. There's still plenty of people that buy, but uh, a few more that look. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so, oh, I have a question for you. So, some people are surprised when they find out that so many um, Mormons are involved in the science fiction, fantasy, author, and artist community. Um, do you have any theories as to why there's so many Mormons who are into science fiction, fantasy, art, and, and books? That's a good question. I think that, at least with science fiction, that um, kind of our background and beliefs that there's other worlds and that they're inhabited and that we believe in a God who has infinite creation, the, the, the idea that there would be, I don't know, I think it makes the a lot of the themes that run through science fiction very plausible to us, you know, that we believe that if, if there's creation without measure that there's going to be um, other technologies, there's going to be other worlds that, that have peoples on them with different cultures. And um, so I think it, I think in a sense that it's relevant in that way. Um, and then with fantasy, um, I think that as a culture, we're encouraged to, to read and study and think and um, and fantasy is very, very much a catalyst for a lot of that. So. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, my last question. You were showing, um, there's a girl here who is interested in painting. Do you get a lot of people asking advice? I do. I get a lot of parents asking on behalf of their kids, you know, so my child likes to draw and paint. What should I do? They almost ask it like, my child is on drugs. What should I do, you know? Um, my child has a disease. Yeah, that's right. Something's wrong. Um, but, and I do get a lot of people that will come and they'll bring their work and they'll want me to look at it and give some feedback, which is, which is great. I got a lot of good feedback when I was just starting out and, and it helped, so I'm always happy to give input. Okay, and lastly, um, you pulled out your sketchbook and we're showing that to, um, to some people that you were talking to here at your booth. And I noticed that there are a lot of uh, church drawings in it. You're showing us your church drawings. So, how long have you been drawing in church? I've probably been drawing in church since I was four or five years old and my mom um, recognized that giving me something to do with my the creative side helped me focus and listen and sit still. And so, uh, I've drawn ever since, even when I, I had the chance to uh, serve in a bishopric and up on the stand I'd sit and kind of just make little designs on the, the bulletin and, and it would help me 
stay focused on the task at hand. So were your sketches different at all from when you were in the congregation versus in the bishopric? Mostly when I was on the stand, I just I would just draw lines. I would just draw little spirals or lines, but it still helped me kind of sit and be focused, which seems kind of dumb, but it but it works. Yeah, I know. I'm like, yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, and I hope your weekend continues to go well. Cool. Thank you. Howard directed me to Stuart M. Craig's booth. Stuart M. Craig does digital illustrations, often mashups of different characters like Captain Kirk fighting Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Raphael. So, Stuart, how has this weekend been going for you? Oh, it's been great, you know. It's been, I've been here more as a fan, you know, so I'm, like I was mentioning, I was geeking out over some other artists, including Howard, you know. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> okay, great. What's the... Um, craziest costume you've seen this weekend? Um, it's a post-apocalyptic Ash. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so what you mean is my friend here who's standing in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy cool is what I mean. Cool. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> um, so how long have you been going to uh, Salt Lake Comic Con convention or Salt Lake conventions? Since they've started Comic Con here, so it's like the fourth time around. Yeah, so apparently it's only been going on for a couple years, but it exploded really fast. Why do you think that is? I think this is just the right place, the right fan base, the right you know people for this uh, you know right audience basically for this type of thing. Okay. Um, so, tell me about some of the influences of, on your work. Oh, well, um, <laughs> you know, I just watch a lot of Star Trek. <laughs> Play some video games here and there, you know. <laughs> and I always think, what if, you know. <laughs> so, I usually mash them up and stuff like that. Just your typical comic book, video game, Star Trek, Star Wars nerd, you know. <laughs> awesome. So, it looks like you do, you do some, um paintings um, that you have are there do you do comic books or anything else besides paintings um, I usually just do paintings I'm kind of intimidated by comic book art you know it's like a different I don't know I don't know <laughs> I usually do just do paintings yeah I do drawings like I was doodling a, that poster over there and it's usually just like drawing drawing you know I don't know <laughs> but yeah, well, this is really gorgeous stuff. So you typically do, it's typically digital, is that correct? Um, yes. Right. Yeah, currently everything I do is digital. I used to do a lot of oil and acrylic, but, you know, uh, my kids get into it. So. <laughs> so it's like, until they get older, hopefully I'll be able to pull them out again. <laughs> okay, I have a question for you. Um, there's some people who think that... There are a lot of Mormons in science fiction and fantasy, like interested in it, and who write it and and do paintings. Um, do you feel like there are a lot of Mormons who do that? I actually do. I think so, and I think it's because typically we tend to have open minds, <laughs> you know, and we we tend to think about um, bigger things, bigger themes, you know. And so the idea of something that could possibly exist you know, is more appealing, uh, uh, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, that's interesting. Okay, um, well, thank you so much for your thoughts. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> After artist Ali, I wandered over to the other side of the Salt Palace where the authors had their booths. 
The first booth I visited was Life, the Universe, and Everything. All right, I'm at the Life, the Universe, and Everything booth. So for those of our listeners who don't know what that is, tell us what it is. It's a science fiction and fantasy writing symposium. What else do you mean to say? <laughs> um, where is it hosted, typically? Okay, so it's in Provo, Utah, at the Provo Marriott, and it's February 12th through the 14th. Awesome. Um, so, I have a question for you. Um, why do so many Mormons write science fiction fantasy? I think the main reason that most of them write science fiction fantasy is we have a belief in a lot of things. We believe that creation is a really big part of our life and we have the ability to create almost anything. Um, I should ask your names before I interview. What are your names? Uh, Don Ray Ammon. And? I'm Sarah Fackrell. Okay, awesome. Um, okay, so that was... What was your name again? Don Ray. Don Ray? That was Don Ray's opinion. And... Sarah? Why do you think so many Mormons write science fiction fantasy? I actually have no idea. That's a really good question. I, I actually found that there's a really great community of writers here, and I think part of it is just it's a really nice place to live, and so I think a lot of them will find science fiction fantasy, especially through events like ours, and they'll find that they have a really good support system here. So I think it just kind of lends to a lot of people thinking, you know, this is a really great thing. But I know genre fiction has actually been kind of a pariah, and I think to have such a good support in this area, especially where there's a lot of Mormons, I think the just the support kind of lends to more writing in these particular genres. Alright, um, Don Ray is agreeing. I would also like to mention that Sarah has some credibility because she's wearing a TARDIS necklace. Sarah, where did you get your TARDIS necklace? Um, I actually got it on an Etsy. Awesome. Okay, I've heard that editors on the East Coast have noticed that there are a lot of Mormon and slash Utah writers of science fiction fantasy. Um, what do you have to say about that? Uh, I had a tour editor ask me what was in the water in Utah, and we kind of talked about it for a while, and he's like, hey, you guys just keep putting out more writers and more writers. It's, it's, he's like, we're taking notice, and it's a big thing for them. And I, that was at FantasyCon, and I've met ones from Bain and from... Uh, what's the other one? Simon and Schuster. This last last six months, coming out to check out the Utah writers. It's pretty cool. So, um, Don Ray, what's the most memorable costume you've seen this weekend so far? Oh gosh, um, the Acme Tower from uh, Animaniacs totally had Pinky in the Brain. All the Animaniacs. I was like, okay, I'm beyond impressed with someone who can walk around as a tower all weekend. It was so cool. And the glove, the the glove that run, runs away from Wacko. It was an amazing, amazing costume. That sounds awesome. Um, so Sarah, please go to booth two zero one. I'm going to wait till this passes. That's one of mine, actually. Um, so, Sarah, what is the most memorable costume you've seen this weekend? So, I actually saw a family dressed as the people from Up. And the mom was actually the bird, and it was like six feet tall, and their stroller was the house. And like their baby was like the little boy. And so, it was, it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. She had like balloons and everything. It was really, really cool. I just saw that. It was awesome. Okay, thank you so much. You're welcome. No Next up was David Farland, science fiction and fantasy author, known for his Rune Lord series. Okay, I'm interviewing David Farland at his booth. Um, how's the weekend going for you? It's been great, thank you. Awesome. Okay, um, 
So one of the questions that I've been asking people is, um, why do you think that Comic-Con has gotten so big so fast in Salt Lake? You know, uh, a lot of it is, quite frankly, that with fantasy and science fiction, they're all about the right use of power. So you have to deal with moral issues. Algis Budras, a critic uh, in the Chicago Sun-Times, once said that, that fantasy and science fiction were the last bastion of religious fiction in the United States. And he's absolutely right. And so when you get a large religious population, you're going to find a large fantasy and science fiction population at the same time. Because those are the only two religious, those are the only two uh, mediums that we can talk about good and evil in sort of capital letters. Uh, and people really respond to that. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's a really interesting thought. David Farland had to cut his interview short to be on a panel. So I decided to visit the Shadow Mountain booth where Larry Correa was signing novels for fans. Larry Correa is an American fantasy novelist known for his Monster Hunter series. I'm at Shadow Mountain, the Shadow Mountain booth with Larry Correa, um, who's an author. And Larry is telling us that he's been up since five. Why is that? Well, no, I, I went to bed yesterday at five. Oh. <laughs> so I was up 24 hours yesterday. That's that's the nature of Comic-Con. Uh, it was my buddy's uh, um, bachelor party. And when you got a bunch of Mormons at a bachelor party, we just played role-playing games until uh, 3 o'clock in the morning. And then I had to drive from Provo to Morgan. So, yeah, good times. I'm completely incoherent right now. Um, I am running on... Uh, I am running on sugar. <laughs> All right. So, have you been to a lot of Comic-Cons in the past or different conventions in the past? Yeah, I, uh, I've been to a ton of cons. Like last year, for example, I went to 14 um, around the country. And I've been doing this for about seven years now professionally. So I, every year I've tried to hit a lot of cons. So I've been all over America. I've been to a ton of cons. This is actually one of my favorites. Why is that? Um, well, it's the nature of Utah. Utah is really uh, kind of nerdy and it rejoices in our nerdiness. We, I mean, seriously, we own our fandom. We, 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 we fly our geek flag high, and it's fun. I, and I enjoy it. I mean, I, I just did New York Comic Con a few months ago. And, you know, it's New York. It's big. It's fancy. It's fun to go visit New York. But I, I'd rather be in Salt Lake, honestly. I mean, I, I think it's just it's just a fun crowd. And, you know, I've been, I've been to most of them, so I enjoy this a lot. So why is Utah so nerdy? You know, that's a good question. We're just a we're just a very nerdy, well-read people who really appreciate storytelling, I think. Whether it's video games or movies or cartoons or books or whatever it is, we just really glom on to stories. Um, and, and part of it too is we're we're uh, we're state of readers. I think we read more than most places I've ever been. I mean, I've been to most, you know, I've only got five states to go before I've been to all of them. But um, from what I've seen, Utahns like to read, and I think that's kind of our gateway drug. And we just kind of go out from there. I mean, all of our kids read. Most of us read to our kids. It's just kind of the culture here. So I, it, it makes for a very hardcore fandom. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, okay, so what has been the most memorable interaction you've had this weekend? Oh, that's a hard question. Um, I don't 
okay, uh, my favorite thing to do is I like being on panels, and we I do one solo panel, I call it, it's, it's, it's a, a panel on how to write action, but I call it the Larry Show. So it's basically one hour straight of me just rambling, and I never repeat myself, but it's just one hour straight of me talking to people. We have a lot of fun in there, and I mean, I get to interact with a couple hundred people at one time, and uh, most of them are fans or people that are my stuff. We get to, you know, inside jokes and nerdy talk about cool books and explosions. So uh, that was my favorite part. And uh, I'm not really a fan interaction, but I love hanging out in the green room and, uh, and and you get to see some celebrities and that kind of thing. And we get to go all fanboy too. So it's, it's kind of cool. Okay, so tell me uh, about your geekiest fanboy moment. Okay, it wasn't this con, but it was the uh, last con. I got to take Adam Baldwin to dinner from Firefly and uh, got, got to, I got to take him out and uh, that was that was pretty awesome because he's a really super nice guy. Where did you guys go and what did you guys order? Uh, Valter over uh, a couple blocks south of the convention center. It's a really nice Italian place and um, uh, ravioli I think. <laughs> there you go, ravioli. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. We told Larry Correa we were looking for Mormon authors, so he directed us to a booth around the corner. He said, look for the sign that says Space Balrog, and you'll find a group of Mormon authors there. So we went over there and found David J. West. Okay, I'm here with David J. West at Fan X15. Um, and David J. West is an author. He wrote the story Fangs of the Dragon. Tell us about that story. I love weird westerns and I love Porter Rockwell, so I had to contribute more Porter Rockwell action adventure with the stories we never got to hear about in his exploits. So tell me um, an example of one of those stories that we haven't heard about that you included in your story. Um, how he was able to make friends with the Bear Lake Monster <laughs> and tame it. That's funny, you know, I've never heard that one before. Really? Oh, well, not a lot of people found out because to save the Bear Lake Monster, he wanted to say that it was a hoax and that didn't really exist just to make sure it was at peace. Old Blue. Okay, that makes sense. Cool. What have you been working on recently? Uh, some sword and sorcery collections of fantasy and some weird tales that are kind of Twilight Zone-esque. I have a Spartan Mulekite one out and a sword and sorcery Book of Mormon historical that I'm still continuing on. Okay, awesome. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that one? It's everything that's happening with Mormon in chapter one, continuing on when, you know, the age of peace is over, but the Lamanites are attacking the land of uh, Zarahemla by the borders of Sidon, and the Gadiantans are flaring everything up, and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. We know the ending, but I think that's the beauty of the drama and the conflict, is how it gets to that point. So would you say this is Book of Mormon fan fiction? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it had to be done my way because I wasn't satisfied with anything else that was out there. What else is out there? Uh, mostly Book of Mormon romance historicals, which just aren't my bag. <laughs> okay, um, question for you. 
So, why do you think so many Mormons slash Utahns write science fiction and fantasy? Because we're all about world creation. It's, it's in our psyche, it's back there, you hear about it for the someday, and I think it's just something on our brainwaves to start a little bit of creating early. Also with Space Balrog was David J. Butler, who wrote a steampunk novel called City of Saints that takes place in the wild, wild west of LDS church history. Um, tell me about um, your novel, City of the Saints. City of the Saints is the Mormon steampunk novel. It's set in Salt Lake City in the year 1859, and it's about a race among secret agents to have control of the Kingdom of Deseret's air-based uh, power. It's, it's Skyship Navy. Uh, so you've got Sam Clemens on one side for the U.S. Army. You've got Edgar Allan Poe, who is presumed dead, but is in fact in deep disguise as an exhibitor of Egyptian antiquities, armed with flesh-eating uh, scarab beetles and hypnotic hypocephalus, etc. Uh, and you've got Captain Sir uh, Richard Francis Burton for Her Majesty the Queen of England, who compete with each other to, to try and get Brigham under their side in a looming civil war, and then when there is a Danite coup, they end up having to realign and put themselves on the same side. It's an over-the-top comic action romp steampunk novel. That's awesome. Um, so... Did you decide to write a Mormon steampunk novel? So, the genesis of the book is in a real-life piece of travel literature. Captain Burton, in 1859, really did travel from England to Salt Lake City. Now, this guy was an explorer. He was a linguist. He uh, had discovered the sources of the Nile. He had gone on a, a, the pilgrimage to Mecca in disguise. He was a real adventurer. And he came out to Salt Lake, and he wrote a book called The City of the Saints, which is a great book. It's a great piece of travel literature from the 19th century. But also, he's a, an, an interesting witness because, you know, there was a lot of hyperventilating. The Mormon War had just ended with under President Buchanan. And there's a lot of hyperventilating in the eastern states about Mormons, and Burton was a guy who could not be shocked. So his testimony is interesting, because he goes and talks about meeting Brigham Young and describes him for two pages, and hanging out with Oren Rockwell, and drinking, going shot for shot uh, over a bottle of whiskey into the night, and talking about how not to get killed on the road to Carson City. So this is a real book, The City of the Saints, uh, and you know, one day when I had finished my previous project, and I just happened, it caught my eye on my shelf, and I thought, you know, that really, there needs, that needs to be an action story and it needs to be a steampunk story. And I sat down and started trying to figure out who else should be in the story. That's awesome. Um, so, is anyone else writing Mormon steampunk? Now, Scott Tarbett, who's with Skylar Publishing, uh, has told me he has a Mormon steampunk novel. I don't think it's out yet. But as far as I'm concerned, unless his is bigger than 150,000 words, I think I'm still the Mormon of King, King of Mormon steampunk. Mormonism lends itself to steampunk. Ooh, I actually gave a presentation at LDS Storymakers on that last year. Um, there's a lot of sort of cultural intersection in terms of things like sometimes doctrinal things, the belief in the perfectibility of man, the belief in the importance of science and knowledge. Uh, 
um, a, a subcultural uh, strong interest in music. Uh, there's also it's just it's of the period. It's it's actually right of the era uh, when when the world was changing and it was changing radically because of technology. Uh, and and uh, you know a lot of steampunk literature is rooted in social change and and radical social ideas of the time. And the Mormons are there too, uh, with the United Order and sim and polygamy and similar kind of uh, we're we're going to remake the world as we think it needs to be made. Uh, I also think there's a lot of I think we as contemporary Mormons, it's healthy for us to remind ourselves that our ancestors of 150 years ago didn't look and act like us. There was some radical differences between us and them. And really, when in 1847, when Brigham Young got in the wagon train and rode west, he left the United States. This was not like a calm, let's go to a new place. They were leaving the country. They were rebels and refugees. And so I, one of the themes, the sub-ideas in City of the Saints, is I want to sort of remember and recognize that kind of crazy adventurer strain that early Mormonism had, and I think we still have, but we don't recognize it like we used to. All right. Thank you so much, David Butler. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Best-selling author Michael Brent Collings was at a booth with his mom, who was wearing an awesome steampunk hat. Michael Brent gave me his thoughts on being Mormon and writing horror. So tell me about being Mormon and writing horror. Um, it's awesome. I, a lot of people are surprised to hear it because it sounds odd, but in reality I think horror goes hand in hand with being a member of the Latter-day Saint Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, not in a funny way, but because we believe in the fact that we are here to be tested and we're here to be tried, and if we do well, we shall endure to the end and then be received through grace into heavenly light, into God's arms. And the very best horror does exactly that. It takes us through extreme difficulty and pain and terror and fear and sort of uh, magnified versions of all the things we really do experience in life. And the very best ones then exalt the main characters into a state of grace. They pick them up beyond that where they started. Um, so when people say, oh, you're a Mormon horror writer, they're thinking about certain kinds of horror that kick us into the gutter and then leave us there to seep in filth. But there are other kinds of horror that take us through a journey that begins in the lowest point possible and ends in the heights having been lifted up by the hand of God. That's interesting. Okay, so um, we've interviewed Dan Wells before, another horror author. Are there other LDS horror authors that you're aware of? Uh, my father is one. His name is uh, Michael R. Collings. Uh, I'm trying to think. J. Scott Savage released a novel through Deseret, I believe. Um, and I can't remember what it's called, but it was billed as a horror novel. It's, it's hard to say because horror as a genre is a myth. I mean, genre is just uh, a fancy term for that bookshelf over there in Barnes & Noble. Um, in the old days, there was just novels, just the new stories that came out. So uh, 
Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, they didn't have it come out and say, oh, it's a horror novel. It was just a great story and wonderful literature. And so when we talk about horror today, we tend to think about gooey monsters and evil reptiles and things. And um, all, it, all it is really is a story about extremes. And that can be found in anything. I read a really marvelous horror story the other day. It had this guy who went into this garden and he started bleeding out of his pores. And then he ended up getting nailed to a cross and then he was resurrected. Um, and that's one of the most extreme stories of horror that I've ever heard. So horror stories are everywhere. Whether people classify themselves as horror authors, that's kind of between them, their publisher, and, and the Lord. Um, but a lot of Mormons, I don't think, I think, don't want to be classified that way simply because uh, there seems to be a stigma associated with it. For me, I think it's great. I think it's a wonderful thing because horror can do things that no other genre can. Okay. Um, so, last question. Last question. Um, have you been going to um, the Salt Lake Comic Conventions for the last couple of years now? Yes, I have. Um, Blake Castleman, who's head of uh, the panel programming, and I have been friends for years. He and I actually started doing panels together when he was a nobody and I was a nobody, and now he's quite successful and he's in charge of all this um, work at Comic-Con, and I'm doing okay as a writer. Um, so we get to hang out together in these capacities, and it's absolutely, absolutely wonderful, and it's a real good reason why you should be nice to people when you're both nobodies. So, um, yeah, I've been going for to all of them, actually. All right. Um, so why do you think that these conventions exploded so fast once Salt Lake actually got comic conventions? Because there aren't a lot here and because Utah is full of awesome people that are interested in nerdy stuff. Why do you think that is? Because they they believe in having fun. That's another thing that the gospel, as far as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is concerned, the gospel teaches that that joy is something that's to be had now. Um, Adam fell that men might be and men are that they might have joy. It's not a, an idea that we adhere to. Let's go and mope. It's let's go have fun. Now everything in moderation, which you might not see if you walk around the Comic-Con floor. But the fact is, people in the church, which its influence seeps out throughout Utah, whether you're a member of the church or not. Um, people in the church believe that they should find joy and should find light in everything, in wherever it can be found. So if you're going to find something, a gospel truth in Return of the Jedi, that's A-OK. -okay. And I believe me, I have heard people say in their testimonies, it's like when, jo when Yoda said at the end of Return of the Jedi, and that's okay if what Yoda is saying is a true principle, hey, the spirit can be present for the little green dude. And so uh, Mormons in particular can do that. And also they're extremely educated. Um, they go to school. Their parents teach them to learn. Their parents give them books early and say, read this or die. And it very quickly turns into, give me more books or I'll kill you. You know. And so it's just it's a perfect melting pot of um, factors that create this wonderful stew we call fandom. All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Back at Shadow Mountain, Richard Paul Evans had a line of fans waiting to get their Michael Vay books signed. Michael Vay is a series about a teenager who's diagnosed with Tourette syndrome and who also has electrical powers. 
Okay, I'm here at Comic-Con with Richard Paul Evans. How's the weekend been going for you? Uh, it's exhausting, but it's a lot of fun. Okay. Great energy. Great. It looks like a lot of people are interested in your new young adult series. Um, what do you think is the draw? Well, Michael Vay is someone that people can relate to. He has a disability, he's a good kid, and he's very he's becoming powerful as he comes into his own. So uh, people, kids and adults relate to it. They call themselves Vaniacs. And so it's like building a tribe here. We have all these Vaniacs. That's awesome. Well, this is the place for it because it's the Fan X experience. So you're meeting a lot of your fans. Um, what have been some of the memorable experiences meeting your fans? Well, my favorite are um, kids who have disabilities. Their parents will come up and tell me that they're kids that feel better about themselves because they realize they could be superheroes like Michael Bay. All right. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. You take care. One artist who wasn't on my list but who caught my eye was John Schieferling, also known as Zoof. John Schieferling was raised Mormon, and he uses Star Wars characters to make religious icon-themed posters. I bought a small poster of a C-3PO as the Angel Moroni. What inspired you to do the um, nerdy religious iconography just in general? Um, you know, I got the idea for it because I was stuck at a red light and I looked over and next to me was this really cool low rider car with a painting of the Virgin of Guadalupe on the hood and being a nerd I thought to myself, what would, a, what would nerds drive? And I thought, oh, they would definitely have Princess Leia as the Virgin of Guadalupe on the hood. So does the C-3PO Angel Moroni sell pretty well here? Outstandingly well. And it seems to appeal to people that are active in the church or members of the church or not members. And I just can't offend anyone with it. Was that surprising to you? I kind of thought that maybe some people would take a little offense to it, but I guess that, you know, uh, members of the Mormon church really don't worship a lot of physical, tangible idols. So uh, it would be a little hard to upset them in hindsight and that's fine I wasn't trying to upset them but it was funny that it went over so well okay thank you so much thank you you're welcome next I interviewed Chris Hoffman who is one of the comic book artists who works on Salt City Strangers okay. all right I'm speaking with Chris Hoffman and we are talking about his comic book Tell me about it. Sure. So the Salt City Strangers is a set of Utah superheroes. Their their title is the the Utah's most awesomest superhero team, and they're made up of a cross section of uh, Utah culture. So we have uh, the leader, who's Golden Spike, uh, the Den Mother, Gull, Son of Bigfoot, and Deputy Deseret. They're all Utah themed. They fight crime and uh, supernatural occurrences in Utah all over the place. So we use a lot of the Utah urban legends to springboard the stories off of. So how did you get the original idea? Uh, the original idea, there was a convergence of events. Uh, Roger Ebert, who's uh, the famous uh, movie critic, he did a review for the movie Constantine and he said, why is it that movies that battle demons always have to be Roman Catholics? And uh, he said, why aren't there Protestants and why aren't there Episcopalians? And I said, well, why aren't there Mormons? And so we went down that road a little bit and there was also a Marvel comic that came out right around that time that talked about 
about an Avengers team that was in Utah, and they, they only mention them once, and they say, oh, the Mormon team in Utah, and they never show what they look like. And so I started thinking, uh, brainstorming with my friends, sort of being like, what sort of Utah things could there be where it would be a superhero? And so we started thinking about stuff like the Golden Spike, and so now they've we've been working on this coming for about mm, two and a half years, something to that effect. And the characters have taken on a life of their own, of these huge backstories that we haven't even gotten able to touch, be able to touch in the in the books yet. So we're still. Uh, is that going to pick up? You want me to keep going? Sorry. They haven't announced anything all day, and then in the middle of that, they have to say something. So, but you want me to start over, or do you want me to keep going? It was the, um, how did we come up with the original idea? Was that what I was on? Yeah, you were talking about Roger Cooper and, oh, the Avengers. Oh, okay. So the, uh, right around that time, there was a comic book that came out from the Avengers where there was an Avenger team that was in every single state. And so they mentioned the Utah team in passing. They say there's a, the Mormon team in Utah. So uh, we kind of imagined what that would look like. Uh, so that's how we came up with the Gull and, and Golden Spike. Uh, but now they've taken on a life of their own. They have these huge backstories that we're going to get to as soon as we can in the comics. We have about, we have three issues out right now. We're working on the fourth and a, uh, a one shot about just the Gull and how he got to Utah. But uh, we've got an outline for about 20 comics. So we're we're in it for the long haul here. We're going to keep going going with these as much as we can. That's awesome. What has the reception been like? You know, it's been cautious, which I, which is totally totally fair. Um, so I am I'm of the culture of Utah, but I am not a member of the uh, the church myself. So people get. Um, suspicious. They're like, why would you do that? And I'm like, not everybody who writes about Catholic superheroes is Catholic. Not everybody who writes about Jewish heroes are Jewish. It's uh, the way you write is trying to put yourself in this situation. And the comic book, it's the, the fact that there, some of them are members, because not all of them are. Uh, it's a cross-section of Utah. So it, when I was a kid, I, I played church ball, church basketball, church softball. I went to uh, scouts at my local ward, you know, so it was like, it was, uh, I was always the guy from the outside, but I'm still of, like I said, of the culture. So that's, I just write that story, but it's, they happen to be superheroes. So the goal is, is the recruited member of the team, and everybody else is in sort of, um, they're on a spectrum. The son of Bigfoot has a very strong testimony. He loves to go to church, but he's also the one that's like the most discriminated against because of the link with uh, Bigfoot and Cain. I don't know if you know this. Have you heard this story before? So uh, my wife had never heard this story, but but about how uh, how they, uh, there's uh, records from uh, Brigham Young's time that someone had met Cain along the a uh, road, and it, he was covered in black hair and, and dark skin, and so he has to deal with that. So we we try to make it that these characters all have to deal with something. So Golden Spike is African American. He's the leader of the team, and so. Uh, we get we get suspicious questions like that where they're like why is he african-american it's because it's like there's a lot of african-american members you don't it's just not because in utah you don't see a whole ton you know what i mean unless you live next door to thorough bailey i guess but 
the, uh, what, but it's been a little bit of suspicion. There's been people like, is it, the first question we got asked when we came to the first Comic Con and released it here was, is it pro-Mormon or anti-Mormon? And we said it's, uh, it's Swiss Mormon. We have no, there's no political commentary in this. It is characters and they have a motivation and it's part of their motivation. They're humans, they're people, you know what I mean? The, everything else about them is, is kind of secondary. So that's what we try to push with the book. Uh, but after we get that over that hump to where people are like, okay, I'm not going to get into this comic and then you're going to start making fun of me, that would be, uh, then they, they're really receptive. And you know what, we've got a loyal fan base now and we feel bad because they keep coming to these conventions and, and it takes so long to get these books done. We didn't have a new one for this time. So we're hoping we'll have another new one for the um, September show. Okay, thank you. That's really interesting. Um, so my last question is, why are there so many Utahns who come to Comic-Con? Like, it exploded out of nowhere. Yeah, I think it was pent-up demand. I think it was always here. It was one of those... When I was a kid, I didn't understand why they didn't do a comic book convention here. They did baseball card conventions here all the time, and people came out in droves, and then that sort of thing just dried up. I think the deal is here is that fantasy, sci-fi... Is uh, mysticism that sort of stuff is like ingrained in the culture here? People are all about like fantastical ideas. People with superpowers, you know. Um, some great authors that that come out of here uh, in Utah. It's just it's it's of the culture. We've got all the bronies here. We've got all the Hoovians. We've got all of the 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 huge Star Wars fan base and the Star Trek fan base that have been here for for years. So it just finally came down to somebody trying. I think. Everybody just kind of said, you know what, Denver's one is pretty big and it's pretty close, and San Diego is a huge one and it's pretty close, so eh, we're just going to skip on that place. And uh, so Comic-Con actually trying this, they just needed to be the first to market. So now we're getting all, all sorts of them, so for FantasyCon and uh, all these other things. So I think it was always here, it's just finally someone took a chance and I'm glad they did. Um, do you think that... Um Mormons are particularly inclined to be interested in science fiction fantasy? Because that's, that's a theory. What do you think, as someone who isn't LDS, what do you think about that? Oh yeah, I believe it wholeheartedly. It comes with an idea, and like I said, this was a, this is a, uh, one of my friends when we used to go buy comic books, he told me, he said, you know what, I love comic books because if I, if I live the, the life I'm supposed to, at some point, and this has changed, you know, I mean, this was back in the 90s, so, or early, or late 80s, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm not super clear on this, like I said, but that the idea is that at some point you may be in charge of a, of a creation of some sort. And in their minds as a teenager, they were like, that means I could have a world with superheroes or with something like that. So it was like, it's a possibility, you know what I mean, as far as the culture goes, you know? I know there's been a lot of nuance on that as to mean, okay, it's not a planet, it's not this sort of stuff, but uh, to wrap your mind around that, all things are possible with, with that sort of stuff. So yeah, I think that for for members, it ends up being that the door is open to this sort of stuff. So I think that, and if you look back at the history of the church, there's a lot of mysticism. There's a lot of things that are fantastical with super, that we would have called them superpowers if we could have seen them back in the day, you know? So it's, uh, yeah, I think it just moves right into it and there's no contradiction to it, really. I think there's a lot of religions that might get into some, some trouble there's uh, not trouble but there's some 
extreme versions of different religions that, like the people who were up, upset at Barney the Dinosaur, because they said that, that he displayed resurrection, and it should only be, you know, Jesus who, who demonstrates resurrection, because he turned in from a, a stuffed animal into a walking thing. It's a very small group of people, you know what I mean, that were thinking this. So there's, there's people on that end of stuff where they're like, hey, these things should only be come from the church and from God and from from Jesus. And I don't. I think that. They literally have not announced anything for the whole time. But I was going to say they. Uh, it seems like they. Uh, like I said, the door is open for this sort of stuff to to be in their mind to 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 under trying to understand the universe and our place in it. So I think that that's what brings people to this stuff is thinking in their brain this stuff is is just fun and awesome and it is just fun and awesome maybe it doesn't even have like that deep of a meaning maybe I'm looking six feet deep in a two-foot pole you know what I mean but uh, people have been really supportive and, and nice about this I mean the culture here has been really supportive and nice about the Book of Mormon play right and that one's even that one's you could categorize there's some mean stuff in there you know what I mean like they're, they're not trying to be but it's kind of a it's a lot more of a, a wink and a nudge than our stuff is but people are still it's sold out almost immediately when they ordered uh, when they said they were gonna come here you know what I mean so yeah I think it's just Utahns are just in uh, they're kind of Canadian light they're just nice so mean about Canadian Utah, uh, Canadian Mormons. Right, Canadian, they're so nice. Like, you could sit there and, and you could just burn down their house. <laughs> and they're just like, you know what? We were looking to get a new one anyway. How'd you know we were cold? So, yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. Awesome, no problem. Thank you. My last interview of the day was with Brita Spain back at Shadow Mountain. Brita Spain writes young adult fantasy. So, Brie, what has your experience been like this weekend? It has been so much fun. I just love getting around people who are like really excited about things. And I've gotten to speak on some really awesome panels. Um, I was on the Supernatural panel, I was on the Whedonverse panel, and then also the Avatar The Last Airbender panel, which are like three of my most favorite things in the world. And they're the three things that kind of inform in, um, my writing the most. And so to just get up there, and people are like screaming, they're like so excited, and they actually like want to hear what I have to say about these shows and it's just been so much fun I love it so I have not this is my first con and I haven't been to any of the panels um, this time around because I was just taking in all of the everything on the floor yeah um, hopefully I can come again and do some panels so what um, what kinds of things go on at the panels what do you discuss so there's different kinds of panels. They're like the fandom panels. So you know something about supernatural. Um, it's probably like it's authors and podcasters, and we kind of get up there and we discuss like what actually makes the show so good. You know, we talk about like story structure and the characters and that type of thing. So it's fun for the fans, but it's also good for someone who's maybe a writer or a filmmaker. They can kind of um, hear a breakdown of like this is how to like write a really good character, that type of thing. Then there's also panels like that are specific to if you are a writer, you can go and like find out how to get published or you know how to write action like that type of thing um, my favorite are the fandom panels I love getting up there and kind of dissecting a show and talking about like what makes it work awesome okay um, so what do you make of the fact that there are so many Mormon authors who write science fiction fantasy you know I think part of it comes out of um, back 
When I went to BYU, there was a really, really strong um, department there, fiction and especially YA department at the time, and I think a lot of us kind of came out of that era. We had really strong teachers and people who really like embraced it, but I think Mormons are just really creative, awesome people, and I think we come up with good stories. I don't know if it necessarily relates to like being Mormon, but I think the Mormon culture is very supportive of creativity and also like enriching your talents, like going, you know, actually spending money or going to conferences, that type of thing, to become better at whatever it is. And so we are encouraged from a young age to go after our goals and to go after our talents. We hope you enjoyed these interviews. If you'd like to share your own thoughts about Mormons and science fiction and fantasy, tweet us at Mormon Artist or like our Facebook page and leave a comment. Thank you for listening to the Mormon Artist Podcast. For more episodes, please visit mormonartist.net.